You are listening to Service Course by The Cycling Podcast, powered by Super Sapiens. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Hello, I'm Tom Wally. I'm with Lizzie Banks. Lizzie, uh, why, do I have to get the RSPCA involved? Why are you pouring water on cats? <laughs> well, Tom, I thought, I thought the question that we were supposed to ask at the top of this podcast was, where are we, Tom? And I should be asking that question to you because your accent is changing. Where are you, Tom? <laughs> no, yeah, you have noticed. I've obviously, since moving back to Nottingham, my once dormant Nottingham accent is starting to, it's been resurrected. So yeah, it, has, yes. it is coming back with some force, particularly it's in these sort of episodes. like uh, an Icelandic, Icelandic volcano. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> particularly in these episodes where I'm, you know, speaking to a lot of Knots folk. It's, uh, yeah, it's coming back heavy. But it is, it's one of those things that they just, it just lies dormant waiting to be, you know, waiting to be brought back to life. But Lizzie, you're in, you know, talking of moving places and accents. How's your French? Très mal. <laughs> Not very good. Well, where am I, Tom? I have uh, just moved house. Um, I'm now in France, just on the edge of the Jura, between the Jura and uh, and Geneva, but on the French side. Uh, And it's lovely here. It's absolutely boiling hot. Had to pour water on my cats to keep them cool. Having to pour water on myself to keep myself cool. Um, But it's lovely here. Lovely to be here. And uh, just need to learn a little little bit of French because uh, at the moment it's not very good. Um, but before we move on to sort of the main thrust of this episode, I just want to say uh, congratulations. Well, first of all, I want to say congratulations on being a woman because of the Tour de France. <laughs> but more than that, no, congratulations on the whole event, but also congratulations on, on the way um, you, Rose and Rook, covered it because it was, I, I produced three or four of the episodes and um, I thought the coverage was fantastic. Just the coverage in the one you produced, Tom, or...? Well, I mean, I produced more than half of them, but, you know, the coverage in general, I just thought you guys were fantastic. I mean, but actually, Lizzie, I was going to ask you, because obviously, you know, not being able to ride it, uh, you know, I would have found it hard to enjoy it, but your enjoyment of that event really came through. Well, firstly, thanks, Tom. Yeah, I mean, it it was a brilliant event, and it was so great to be a part of the coverage especially as I wasn't able to be there on the ground um, and still not actually able to ride my bike at the moment, which is, a, yeah, <laughs> not great, obviously. But, I mean, the biggest shout-out has to go to Rose, who was on the ground, you know, she was the only... Well, Anna Marie Rook was also on the ground, but, uh, you know, it was just Rose and her partner Phil and her young baby Tamsin collecting all of the interviews. And uh, she, she did such a phenomenal job every single day. She absolutely killed the interviews. And it's, you know, such an important part of, of having that, that coverage and having that feel that, that you're there, you know, with the riders every day. But it was... Um, it was a really great thing to be a part of. I'm really pleased that I was able to kind of contribute to, well, this amazing momentum that we have in in not just in women's cycling and women's sport. Um, of course, on the on the final day of the Tour de France Femme, we also in the UK had the the Lionesses winning the final of the European Championships in football to such phenomenal phenomenal amount of support. There was a record crowd at Wembley for a Euro final uh, and just the response of the response to that the response to the Tour de France fam you know this isn't just because it's women's sport it's because it's really really good sport and I hope that if there's anyone listening to this who hasn't listened to the 
Tour de France fan coverage because you think maybe, oh, it's only women cycling. I beg you, please go and listen to it because that race was brilliant. It was electric. Even the stages that we thought not much would happen, there was chaos and, you know, stories from every angle. And, and it was absolutely brilliant. There wasn't there wasn't a moment's rest. There wasn't a dull moment. And that is what's so great about women's cycling, along with the fact that every single rider has such a good story. Everybody has fought so hard to get here that their backstory is absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I've got to say some of the stories and um, well, credit to you guys for, for, for bringing those those stories to us. Um, in the sort of, well, how long has it been? It's been, well, less than a week since the event ended. I guess in that time, Lizzie, you've spoken to riders, to colleagues, uh, friends who, who did the event. What have they told you about it? What are their thoughts, you know, since, you know, when they've had, ch- when they've had chance to reflect? Well, I think this is actually a really common phenomenon whenever you're inside a bike race, that you don't realise how big it is until you come out of it. When you're in the race, you're so you're so deeply within the race you're so focused on everything that's going on the processes you know get up eat go to the race race come back eat sleep and you sometimes don't even quite realize the momentum that there is outside of the race and the response that there is outside of the race Um, and you might have your own frustrations about performance or whatever it is and then you get outside and you speak to people and just riders coming back through airports. Um, you know, my good friend Leah Thomas, who rides for Trek Segafredo, she said she was coming through Chardegoule Airport and there were four or five people who stopped her to say, oh my goodness, were you riding in the Tour de France list last week? And that would never, ever have happened before. So it just shows that global reach and the kind of the enormity of the reach of the name of the Tour de France that you just wouldn't get with any other race. And that's why it's so important. And actually, I was listening to um, Ned Bolting's podcast, Never Strays Far, and he was talking about how he was frustrated that ITV hadn't covered the Tour de France famine, perhaps that it was because in the first year of an event, um, financially, it just wasn't viable for a free-to-view broadcaster. But having seen the success that he hopes that they will cover it next year and I I hope that there is you know a push from all sides from the public from within the organization to cover it because uh, I mean Eurosport GCN our colleagues over there they did a brilliant job but having that free to view coverage just increases the reach to a place beyond cycling that's when we that's when we really find the new fans for the sport and you have all these people that you've drawn in from the first three weeks and then you say hey don't forget to keep watching because tomorrow we're not going to have that black hole that usually comes with the end of the Tour de France we're going to fill it with some more spectacular racing from the best women in the world no I think you're absolutely right and um you know further to what Ned was saying I think that the TV figures particularly in in France and Europe have been well I was going to say really encouraging they haven't been encouraging they've been great they've been phenomenal yeah I think phenomenal They've blown, they've blown any expectations completely out of the water. Well, before we move on to the meat of this episode, which is all about the way um, supply chains are affecting you as a bike consumer and affecting um, world tour teams and, and their ability to get the, the parts that they and the components that they need. Um, were there any sort of tech headlines to come out of the Tour de France? Fam? I mean, one thing I, I noticed, I mean, there was the, the gravel stage where there was a hell of a lot of punctures. Now, I don't know whether 
I'm right in comparing that to what the men did in just their Roubaix stage. Again, you know, completely different surface. But the women, the, the, the amount of punctures did make me think, is something going wrong here? Is there a, maybe a bit of disparity? What did you make of that? No, I don't think so. I think if you actually go back to the, the men's uh, Roubaix stage, stage five of the Tour de France, uh, the Tour de France on, there were a huge amount of punctures and mechanicals as there were in Roubaix, as there were on the, the gravel stage, stage four of the Tour de France Femme. Everybody who was on the ground reported how severe that, that gravel was. And it was particularly the final two sectors, sectors two and one, where the gravel was so rough. It wasn't really gravel. A lot of people were just describing it as just stone sort of like thrown onto the road. Um, and if you're going at speed, especially if you're going blind at speed into that kind of thing, you will get a puncture. You know, if you can really choose your line and see exactly where you're going and go a bit slower so you can avoid things, then you can mitigate that risk. But when you're in a bunch and you're going hell for leather and you've got, you know, 20 people in front of you, you just can't see. And whatever you do with the best equipment in the world, you know, there will still be punctures. That's just a fact of life. You know, tyres are not infallible. Um, they're small pieces of rubber and these are big bits of rock. But it was interesting to see, actually, how both the, the men's and women's DSM team shunned the um, the automatic tyre pressure system that, that was revealed back in... It was just a couple of days before Roubaix, actually, the, the scope at Mars. And this was a system by which they could increase and decrease their tyre pressures according to whether they were about to come into a cobble sector, whether they were then on a tarmac sector where they wanted a higher pressure and a, and a, a lower rolling resistance. Um, and it, it kind of was sold as a bit of game-changing technology but then the riders decided at the last minute that they didn't want to use it, they didn't trust it. There was obviously then a few more months between then and the Tour de France uh, and still the riders said that they didn't want to use it and it was cited that they didn't trust it but as we know riders are a fickle bunch and if we think about tubeless when tubeless first came which is now you know pretty ubiquitous within the professional peloton and also saves a lot of skin i would say because there's a lot of people who who've realized at the end that they've got slow punctures but they've got to the end without having to you know having to have stopped um so yeah you know we know now the benefits of tubeless but um but the riders didn't trust it at first and it took a long time for it to become commonplace within the professional peloton so basically the message is don't trust anything a professional rider says shoot uh, shoot at the du peloton cycling podcast team car the back of the pack please that is Seb PK interrupting to remind me to tell you that this month's episode of Service Course is sponsored by Stitch Fix. Do you ever wish you could send someone out shopping who knows your exact size, what you do and don't like to wear, and how much you'd like to spend on each item? If I could, I'd send Lionel Burney out shopping for me because Lionel Burney these days looks fresh. Why does he look so fresh? Because he's been using Stitch Fix. Stitch Fix is a service for both men and women, and it makes shopping for clothes easy. To get started, go to stitchfix.co.uk slash cycling to set up your profile, and then they'll deliver clothes chosen just for you in your taste, size, and budget. They arrive at your door a few days later, and you get to try everything on at home. Decide what to keep, and then send anything else back. It's easy. You can schedule at any time, there's no subscription required, plus shipping returns and exchanges are easy and they're free. 
Stitch Fix does the hard work for you, making shopping for clothes easy and free from hassle. Get started today at stitchfix.co.uk slash cycling and get 20% off when you keep all five items. That's stitchfix.co.uk slash cycling for 20% off when you keep all five items in your fix. stitchfix.co.uk slash cycling. Lizzie, uh, have you tried to source... You, you probably don't need to do this, you know. Have you tried to source any of your own bike components recently? Oh, yes. Oh, you have? Yeah, I mean, I think especially if you look back to 2020 when we were all at home and we weren't with teams, so we weren't able to get equipment from teams. Um, we were all sourcing our own own bits and pieces. And I, especially when we went back to the team, we started racing again after the, the first sort of lockdown in, you know, sort of August, September 2020. I remember I asked the mechanic, you know, could I have a new chain for my bike? And he said, no, I'm I'm sorry, we simply don't have enough for the team so I couldn't I couldn't possibly give one to you because we don't have enough for the race bikes and you simply couldn't get hold of components I was actually uh building my husband a bike with uh I was trying to source SRAM Red actually and it was so difficult to find it I managed to find everything that I needed eventually but it was very very difficult and took a long time and things coming from you know various places which when you looked on the internet you wondered if they were actually ever going to arrive um and that's continued that has continued that trend for the last two years and uh you know it's been something that's affected everything you know the the supply chains for clothing for 2020 21 22 they've all been delayed for bike parts they've all been delayed and it's just been across the board every single professional team has had these issues every single I think um, just amateur rider has had these issues getting what they need. And I don't think there's a single person within, you know, who rides a bike who hasn't been affected in some way, whether they just want a, a, t- a new tyre or a new tube or a new chain, whatever it is. Well, I have to give a shout out to what's the what's the name of the group on Facebook, Lizzie? You recalled it much better than I did. Cycling Podcast General Chat Group, I think. Yeah, that's the one, the one on Facebook. So I actually popped in there and I, and I, I spend a bit, quite a bit of time in there, but I asked them... Um, our listeners whether they'd tried to buy a new bike recently and um some of the answers i'm just going to read you a few of the answers before we before we move on to the next well my sort of deep dive into the supply chain issues um adam sims said i purchased one but i won't get it for another six months which is you know very very unusual when it comes to comes to bikes um richard hamilton said um he bought one that was due in may 2023 um, but that did arrive two weeks ago, so he got his early. Uh, Barney DeBerry said he bought a Trek domain ETAP, and uh, his nearest dealer told me told him that there would be an 18-month wait. Um, he did actually find one in an independent shop. And um, Paul Rowland said he spent months last year trying to um, get on a waiting list for a Cannondale Super 6 Um he told he was have to wait a long time, but he actually managed to again doing a desperate Google search. He managed to find one where there was some stock. But it, again, it's a lot of people just doing some research and finding where there's stock. Um, I wanted to know a bit more about the ways in which the pandemic and the supply chain crisis are continuing to affect cycling. So I went on the tour de supply chain. Okay, so I'm going to start this month's podcast with the corniest line that I'm going to use throughout it. Here we go. When you buy a new bike, normally you think about chain sets, 
rather than supply chains. There you go, there's the line. I'm stood outside the, uh, the White Horse, which for those of you who listened to my episode about the social history of rally cycles, you'll remember that. It's the, uh, the green tile-fronted pub that features heavily in Saturday night, Sunday morning. It's used in the, in the film. And it's the sort of start of my journey today. I'm basically going back through the last two years and telling the story of bike shops, bike sales, basically the experience of bicycle retail throughout the pandemic. Now we might be exiting the pandemic or at the very least for most of us we're sort of living with it but I don't know if you've bought or tried to buy a new bike recently or get parts for your bike the impact of the pandemic is still being felt and I want to demonstrate that in this month's episode I'm going to go and visit a few bike shops find out how they've been getting on but our journey starts just up the road from here right then take a little walk with me this is where we start so I'm just walking into the Victoria Centre now plus the chopsticks noodle bar and I was here a few weeks ago and there's a very shiny bike showroom here one of uh, one of Britain's I guess biggest bike brands I'm not going to name them but you know you'll it doesn't take too much to work out who they are. But I was in that store the other day, and it's one of those stores that's uh, pretty minimal. Just a few high-end bikes in there, got one of each model. But what I noticed is that um, every bike had pretty much the same group set on. And it's not the latest group set. It's not Jura Ace, and it's certainly not Jura Ace from this year. So I got to chat into them in the shop and um, what I understand is that basically a lot of the group sets just haven't come through yet. There's, there are supply chain issues. So if you're buying a new bike this year, chances are you've not been able to get the latest components or the components that you expected to come with your bike and anecdotally this is not just affecting the consumer it's affecting teams at the top level of the sport and it's affecting other sports too so in this podcast today I'm going to attempt to understand why that is and dig a little bit deeper into the supply chain crisis and figure out and try and find out if and when it's going to ease or is this as everything else seems to be classified as the new normal. So I set off on my tour de supply chain around Nottingham, uh, but not before stopping off to get my ear pierced. Because obviously I'm 40 and I'm clearly having a midlife crisis. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Cool. <laughs> so um, just keep your head level and be careful. All right, back to the bikes. And my name's Matt Nequest, and I own Bunny's Bikes. I started by asking Matt what it was like running a bike shop back in 
2019. Bikes were just scared, got really scarce, and you'd you'd sell all your old stock that you've had for years and years. We we heard rumours of other bike shops that have had bikes five, ten years, and they've they've got they they got rid of got rid of them all uh, to customers, and because customers didn't mind what year a bike they were yeah. buying in previous years it always had to be the the newest latest model and that that, that ethos has changed now as it as we're going forward so jamie jamie ireland i own cycling in beeston uh yeah beeston's premier shop been in nearly 100 years so yeah still going strong so well, listen, you just got back from Denmark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, trip, so. yeah. But you did miss Jonas Fingergaard's presentation. I did, by a day, by literally one day. And the hotel was directly facing the, the balcony that they came out and in the county hall. So, big gutted, but there you go. So. <laughs> did you not even get any of the fly pass or any of that? Uh, yeah, we got the fly pass when we was on the beach at the other end of Denmark, 400k away. But yeah, so we're still kind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't come to ask you about Denmark. It's just, last time I was here, you spoke brilliantly about bike shops over the course of the pandemic so yeah. i'm going to quickly take you back to 2020 march 2020 you yeah i think you actually shut didn't you originally oh you didn't shut but you furloughed yeah furloughed both members of staff came in on my own uh walked down the high road to work absolutely nobody around thought what the, what's going to go on i've got the business and self-employed i've got kids at the university uh yeah and then within a week it's probably as busiest as i've ever been in 30 years in the trade it continued uh, pretty much the whole year really then the problem became the year after the second year of lockdown the problem then became nobody had any bikes when did you sort the, the the supply chain the supply chain crisis as we know it you probably had a you probably saw that coming a lot Sooner than everyone else, I guess. Uh, yeah, certainly. Uh, I used to be involved in shipping from uh, back factories, uh, bike factories in China and Taiwan. So, yeah, I know the delays and the guy that used to do, well, the guy that now does my job, I'm still in contact with. So I was well aware of the shipping delays that were coming and the lack of containers and the costs and the, yeah, and it's still not recovered yet. <laughs> so, and what about, so, so me, so as a customer now, so if, if I've, you know, I've got my dream new bike build and I'm coming in some flicking through the catalogues with you and I'm saying, I want this, this, this and this on it. <laughs> what sort of looks in on your face? Uh, it's normally a case of uh, Ron said, yeah, no problem. It's a case of getting the laptop out and checking stock at different distributors because normally it would be a given that you'd get the bits. Now it's not, which I'm having the same problem with SRAM components, Shimano components for people that have got bike builds or big trips planned and they want big jobs doing you've got to make sure the bits are there before you book them in or before you promise anything so i think last time i was here you were telling me that you sort of um you, you couldn't even you didn't even know when new bikes for this year were, were coming in no, it's still still pretty much the same now the the 2022 range of bikes certainly from merida which i ordered february last year not this year they're only just starting to come through now we've got bikes on the water i've got bikes in stock uh but we're having to order years worth of bikes in advance so you can't just get the catalogue out and go there's that you've basically got to order as many bikes as you can physically store be it here parents houses garages lockups and fill them up with bikes because no wholesalers have got stock of bikes on the floor so last question is there is there anything in particular any particular component that is like hen's teeth at the moment um there is i do hear this from a lot of shops but knowing this was going to happen midway through first year of lockdown i just continued buying i've probably got more stock now than a lot of the big stores uh 
I've <laughs> I counted up the other day and I've got nearly four and a half grand's worth of bottom brackets where normally uh, I would normally carry uh, not even you know if I would say a grand's worth it is pretty much that's probably being over exaggerated at that as well so yeah no I'm not doing too bad yeah not doing too bad well the tour de supply chain isn't an epic bike ride because my next stop was barely half a mile away, also in Beeston. My name's Rodney Rouse and the shop is the Bike Lounge in Beeston, Nottingham. Now, whereas the cycling boasts a framed Chris Froome jersey on the wall, the Bike Lounge celebrates a much more local rider. There's a Lotto Sudal jersey that used to belong to James Shaw up on the wall in that one. So I've, I've heard anecdotally from mechanics from a couple of World Tour teams um, that parts are now being reused. Um, people are on older versions, older iterations than what they might have expected to be. Is that the sort of thing you're you're hearing as well? Well, just looking at it on the telly, really, you can see that you know at the start of the year people are on you know previous generation chain sets or previous generation wheels, whereas now you look at the later races, sort of post tour, uh, and everyone's on this year's kit. You know, and, it, and it's all matching group sets as opposed to odds and sods. Well, listen, you've got a very different experience to a few of the other bike shops I've been speaking to because a lot of them are 100 years old or more. Uh, you actually opened during the pandemic. So tell us about that. Tell us about when you opened and, uh, you know, t- well, tell us about the shop when it opened. Yeah, so we were basically, it's something I've wanted to do for a long time, trying to find uh, the right premises at the right price at the right time. That was about February 2020, just as sort of uh, covid was sort of hitting far east that sort of area not really dreaming that it was ever going to come to europe and if it did come to the uk um so it was kind of do we don't we um we kind of waited a bit we probably waited a bit too soon to see what was going to happen and then when we finally bit the bullet and decided actually it was never going to be a better time to open uh, letting agents, solicitors and everyone else had all closed down because of the pandemic. So it, it delayed everything and put everything back a few months, but it was all hands to the pumps and uh, get it all painted, fitted out with what we could and from who we could. We had bare walls, we had plaster missing because you couldn't get plaster or plasterboard. We had roof tiles missing. Um, but uh, yeah, we, we got open around about June, I think it was end of June. We actually had the... Well, I suppose he's still the current Prime Minister. Boris Johnson came over and, and officially opened the shop um, back end of June uh, and sort of never looked back since, really. So, I mean, opening in, obviously, you know, a lot of bike shops I've been speaking to, their experiences, you know, by June, you know, that they were riding that, that wave, that boom of, of cycling. You were opening right into it. So what was it like opening that sort of time? Well, thankfully, with, with me working in the trade sort of past 40 odd years we I'd got a lot of contacts and I think what you found was a lot of suppliers had stock but they were being quite selective on where they were sending the stock uh, and trying to eliminate some of your big internet chains and people like that basically just coming in and, and clearing the stock out so because at the time we were sort of new and just ordering in dribs and drabs we we were very fortunate that we could get stock when we wanted it and pretty much what we wanted. I mean, obviously there was there was some issues, but 
uh, we quickly built up a stock of, of the essentials and then built from there, really. And then when did you sort of get an inkling that, okay, we've weathered one crisis and there's now a, well, there's the supply chain crisis coming. I, I guess you probably saw it before us regular folk because obviously, you know, you're ordering stock months in advance. Yeah, well, previous to opening the shop, I was working for a distributor. Um, so sort of right in the early days, certain products we were already seeing prior to me even opening the shop. So I kind of knew what we were letting ourselves in for and what we needed to plan for and, and make sure we were sort of prepared for. Um, and then, yeah, like you say, you, you see it at distributor level, then you see it at retail level, then you see it at customer level. Um, and it's it's not, even, you know, I'd still say it's not fully back where it should be and where it needs to be, but it's definitely getting that way. Sort of daily basis is improving. Get most of it. And if, is there anything that's you know, particularly tricky at the moment. I mean, one of the things I was looking at, I, I went on one of the big online retailers earlier on and I noticed that they had, in terms of Shimano group sets, top-end ones, there was nothing on sale at the moment. I went in a top-end bike shop, I looked at all their range, all had Altegra on. I mean, is 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 sort of Shimano, is that one of the worst effects or is there, is there other parts? Uh, I think they're all probably as bad as each other. I think actually Shimano is probably one of the best. Right. I think SRAM's probably the worst closely followed by Campag in terms of availability and supply chain. Um, and then Shimano have probably ended up coming the best out of it. And they've probably done the best out of it as well, of all of them, because you look at some of the suppliers, you know, the thing is 80% plus probably was, was Shimano in terms of OE supply. So for them to ramp it up, you know, is a bit easier than these people who are doing 20% of the market to get 300, 500% demand increase. So Shimano aren't, have come out of it all right, I think. Um, like we said before, there's some of the Pro Tour bikes um, are now getting full group sets, whereas before they were reusing part group sets and, and bits like that. So it's obviously a sign that it is improving. And I think if you come in and you want a nice bike of any variety, whether it be a mountain bike, a road bike, you know, whatever, we can generally find you something at your budget. The issue is when you get some people who come in and they want it, you know, pink with yellow spots or something, and it's got to be certain sizes, certain dimensions, that's when you get the issues. But in terms of finding something to suit your riding and your budget, we can generally do it. The first rule of recording on location is, well, always keep your tape running. Another rule is always make sure that your recorder has got batteries in. I managed to do neither of those two things. I had a follow-up question for Rodney, but luckily I had my phone with me and was able to switch to that. Yeah, you know, it's so big. We haven't even spoke about Brexit and um, red tape and stuff and getting stuff into this country. But you, you're saying that actually getting stuff into this country is again sort of adding to the crisis. Yeah, I think that's it's certainly adding more hurdles um, and like we were just saying a couple of brands that I know they're finding it much easier to distribute into other territories as opposed to the UK so if they've got 100 sets of wheels and they know there's a customer somewhere else wanting 100 pairs of wheels or something they will send them there as opposed to the UK because it's just so much easier and quicker for them less hassle they know the pricing they know the taxes they know their import duties nothing's changed so they'll just send them there 
if they get some left then the uk might get some and, and might benefit from a few sets of wheels or whatever it is but certainly if if there's demand elsewhere around the world it'll go there first when i returned from my tour to supply chain i wanted to take a deeper look at what was going on with supply chains around the world so I spoke to Professor Richard Wilding, OBE, who is a supply chain expert, and I began by asking him if and when there's going to be an end to this crisis. Well, yes, it will it, it, it will ease, but part of the problem is, is that we're still getting disruptions. So if, even if we're going and thinking about, you know, uh, the bicycle or bicycle component supply chains, um, we're still getting lockdowns occurring around the world. We have to remember that, you know, everybody's partying in Europe at the moment. You know, we're not, not so, we're not seeing that, but we still have lockdowns actually taking place in Asia. You know, so China has various areas where they're locking down still. And as soon as that starts to happen, that then has a knock on effect uh, globally. And we're still seeing that. One of the things that we've got a wonderful term, but we have something called uh, the bullwhip effect, which occurs in supply chains. And we've seen this very recently. So what happens is, is effectively demand for a product will just disappear. So, you know, when we when we think about what was happening in 2020, a lot of the demand for many products just disappeared. A lot of a lot of the requirements for people just disappeared. So we had all the furlough schemes. We had people then looking at their lives, changing jobs, changing roles, and everything else. So all the lorry drivers went. Actually, I found another job, and to be quite honest, I prefer it. So um, I'm going to do this. Um, you know, and we have you know people in retail and restaurants, similar sort of situation. So everything just sort of went away. It was like the tide went out. And then all of a sudden in 2021, um, we then ended up the tsunami wave of demand coming in on us. And that's been the big challenge because everybody wants everything and they want it now. And supply chains just aren't designed for that. And also due to the pandemic, everything is in the wrong place. You know, so we talk about this well choreographed ballet. We have containers which are moving from east to west. They need to get through the ports. Once they're in, they will then be taken back to their original locations. It's a bit like, you know, at a, um, a supermarket. You want the trolleys near the entrance to the supermarket. You don't want them in the extremities of the car park. You know, you need a process to get them all there again. And effectively, that has broken down uh, within within the supply chain. You've looked a little bit in uh, before speaking to me. You've looked a little bit into the cycling industry and where things mm-hmm. are made. And is it ob- is it obvious to you just from that little bit of sort of surface research why and where the problems are arising? But for for mass, you know, the mass production of cycles and things, what you're starting to see is very quickly. It's like most things a lot of the manufacturing is taking place in Asia, you know, and you could say, you know, China's probably the biggest manufacturer. And as we've been saying, you know, part of the challenge with that is then we've had the rolling lockdowns. We've had, you know, getting containerization because you've got to, you've got to sort of think about uh, costs of being able to move things as well. And this is really important. So, you know, uh, the, the price of moving containers had, had sort of gone up ten, tenfold because of the shortages of containers. Now, you have to sort of think that, you know, if you're suddenly paying, um, I mean, a good example is uh, furniture, uh, slightly different to bikes, but you'll get the picture here. 
if we're moving, say, sofas, you know, sofas, and we're manufacturing them in China, generally in one of those big containers you see, you get about 50 in one of those. Yeah, so 50 sofas into a container. Now, if all of a sudden it's costing you $20,000 to move it from Asia, you've got to take that, you know, 20,000 and you've got to divide it by 50. That increases the cost quite substantially, you know, just to be able to get it and move it and so on and so forth. So, so however, if you've got smaller components, you, you can get an awful lot in a container. OK, so one of the things that we often talk about is this amazing concept of cube, you know, which is, uh, you know, actually the size of the product. And then we talk about value density as well. So if you've got very, very expensive items, you know, I don't know if we're moving diamonds or something like that, you're not going to put them on a boat. You're going to literally fly them because they're, you know, their their value per the size of it is really, really expensive. So if you think about some bike components, they may have an, you know, they're incredibly expensive, super high value components. It's probably, you know, they're saying, well, hang on a minute, I'm making some quite big margins on these. I'm going to fly them. So, you know, well, one of the one of the one of the um, um, yeah, m m more interesting things is, you know, if you're thinking about ladies lingerie, Victoria's Secret, stuff like that, often it's air freighted because, you know, if you think about a pair of knickers you can pack that down into a tiny little you know bundle and it's worth a, quite a bit of money in comparison so you can get an awful lot into a container which we can load onto a, a plane and we can move it relatively quickly but we don't have that you know if you're looking at bikes you know how many bikes can we get into a container if the price is super high that's going to create um, issues for us because that's going to increase the cost but also you've then got to get that container. Yes, you can pay the money for the container, but you've then got to get it through and you've got to get on get it onto a boat to actually get it moving. So all these things can then just start disrupting the supply chain and having a big impact on the availability of the components that you actually need. So that's, if you like, just on that movement side. But also then you have to think about the raw material side. So if you're looking at, you know, specialist things like, uh, for example, uh, you know, I don't know, um, say bike frames and you're looking at, say, titanium or uh, you're looking at, you know, specialist alloys and so on and so forth. Guess which countries are the ones which you could say are the, the big producers of those raw materials. Typically, uh, you know, it's going to be uh, Russia, China, Australia. You know, those are generally the big ones for most of the types of alloy that we're using. And of course, that all those are being significantly disrupted at the moment. OK, so, you know, carbon fibre, key resource, which is used, being used on bikes at the moment. But when you actually look at that, there's a big shortage as well of, um, you know, of carbon fibre. And the market really is mainly aerospace. That's where the money is. OK. And you've then got what they call industrial and a bike stuff is within that industrial umbrella. But what the carbon fiber manufacturers are doing, of course, is what they're wanting to do is actually do the high end aerospace stuff because that's where the money is. The Cycling Podcast is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport, fueled by science. I just want to pause here to say thank you to Science in Sport for all of their sponsorship 
for the Cycling Podcast over the last few years, but particularly over the last month or so. It's their support that allows us to cover events like the Tour de France and be there producing daily episodes. And their support also helped us to produce daily episodes from the Tour de France firm. Thank you to Science in Sport for keeping the Cycling Podcast on the road all around France for, well, just over four weeks. If you need any Science in Sport products, and of course you do, then you can get 25% off your next order when you go to scienceinsport.com. Just enter the offer code SISCP25. That's SISCP25. Lizzie, we, we heard there about, and I can see why um, a lot of the teams aren't really willing to talk about this sort of stuff because it can sound critical of their sponsors and the people who supply their components. But we are hearing and we are seeing that even the World Tour teams, both you know men's and women's, are struggling or are facing supply chain issues. You know they're having to reuse parts and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think that it it reflects badly on any you know sponsors manufacturers because it's not it's not anybody's fault it's part of a global issue and as you referenced in the package you know of course there was first the pandemic then there was the russian war um with ukraine and and on top of that in the uk of course we've got brexit which just makes things even worse so if you want to source something from europe it's very difficult now and um Yes, teams have had this across the board. And actually, I would say that men's teams have probably been affected worse than women's teams because they have more bikes to to be able to kit out. And so if you only need... Okay, so let's say women's average women's team has 12 to 14 riders. If you need 12 sets of a type of component, um, you're probably much more likely to get that than if you need... 33 sets but that's just for the first race bike right and so then you need that amount for the spare bike and then you know men's teams might have three or four bikes for for one rider so then that's going up to you know 150 200 of one component um so the volumes in the men's side are so much higher than the volumes in the women's side that i think that they are even more likely to be affected and we saw that in the spring it was it was pretty rife actually there were a number of men's teams who were running 11 speed Shimano, this in particular with Shimano, 11 speed Shimano chain rings with 12 speed group sets, and we're having quite a lot of very obvious problems with chains dropping. Probably the most famous being Casper uh, Asgreen at the top of the Koppenberg in the Tour of Flanders when he was in defence of his title there, of course. And, um, you know, some say that he lost it due to that, some say that, um, you know, he was just out, out cycled. Um, but it's it's very common and I don't think that, you know, I don't think talking about it should or does reflect badly on particular sponsors because it's simply not their fault. It's just it's just the way the way the world is right now. Well, listen, I think you should all be very grateful to me because I do all my cycling on the turbo or on my fixed gear. So I'm not using up any of this <laughs> precious supply of components at the moment. So, uh, yeah, my lifestyle choice is benefiting all of you. So that's great. Lizzie, before we move on, is there any other business, anything you wanted to, to mention before we shoot off? Well, actually, just to say that uh, 
just the news about Shimano 105 going DI2. And I think you can get that, by the way. That is one of the ones you can is get. That the only thing, is that the only thing that you can get? But, but what you can't get now is new Shimano 105 mechanical. So the news that Shimano 105 is being upgraded to DI2 comes with a sort of bittersweet tinge. Well, it's the end of the mechanical era, isn't it? Yes, I'm kind of split about my my thoughts on this because I think it's great that the trickle down effect is coming to 105 and it'll be cheaper and easier. But having said that, it's 1700 pounds, 1800 euros, $1,900. And that's still a lot of money. It's not an accessible amount of money, really, is it? Let's be honest. Um, And I think that the demise of 105 mechanical is quite sad because it was pretty good. You know, it was pretty good at a pretty entry level price. and it's a shame not to be able to get that. And I guess, you know, I wonder what it will be replaced with. And I hope that what it will, will be replaced with won't be worse and more expensive than what we had before. Well, listen, I've never had uh, an electronic group set on any of my bikes. I mean, I've used them. I've never had one. So I think next time it feels like the next time I get a bike, I won't be able to avoid it. So Yeah, yeah. It was, only, great. it was only last year that I finally got DI2. And I have to say it was, it's, it's, probably made the biggest difference of any single thing the shifting is very very good but it is very expensive um and you know if you need to repair it it's very expensive as well and if you need to repair it if you travel away somewhere it can be very very difficult so uh i i still very much advocate mechanical mechanical shifting well i'm just going to google how supply chains are affecting batteries that's the uh, that's going to be the next issue, isn't it? I guess if everything's <laughs> got a battery in it. Um, well, Lizzie, listen, I'll let you go. I'll let you enjoy the glorious sunshine in on the France-Switzerland border. Uh, we didn't even talk about the Large Hadron Collider either. No, but it's a good thing because I don't really know anything about it. Any that <laughs> at dinner last night, I was uh, having a conversation about nuclear fusion, and when it got to the part that there was a uh, helium magma suspended in a tube being being suspended by magnets and the reason that it couldn't uh burn through the vacuum is because it was being suspended by mag- by magnets at that point i kind of uh yeah realized i was pretty out of my depth about what was going on so it's probably best that we don't we don't continue to talk about it because i have absolutely no idea about well, uh, how any of it works well listen lizzie now you know how i feel um <laughs> all right well listen <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna let you go and uh i'll catch you again in about a month's time The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freib, and Lionel Burney. I should probably say thanks. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to keep saying that. I love that. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. 
Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.